Anyway, good evening, everyone. Glad you're all here. I was going to just do some dialoguing tonight, just hear from you about your practice, and maybe we will have a chance to to speak together. I've been I've noticed that once we started recording and using the camera, I felt uh, compelled to give a a Dharma talk because sometimes the dialoguing doesn't come through so well. But uh, if I feel really eager to talk to you, we will just blow off the camera. Sorry. (laughs) But before I did that, before we did any questions, I had a few things on my mind that came up while we were sitting tonight. And one of my ongoing reflections is how we can best use this what I consider a very precious time uh, to together, the time where we are, at least for this time, in the span of our day, we, there's no, nothing else we have to do but be together. We don't have to, we don't have to plan what's next, and we don't, have to, we don't have to reminisce about what happened before. We don't have to do that. We can, and what is a tremendous opportunity for us, is to, uh, is to come back to ourselves, as I read that, I think the poem from Derek Walcott, come back to the, ourselves to the stranger who has loved us all our lives, whom we've ignored for another, who knows us by heart. So we come back to our, to our sense of being conscious, to our bodies, to to the living present, to the reality of the present moment. So the only place that, where reality exists but such so easily missed while we're busy making other plans, while we're busy thinking, planning, remembering, strategizing, worrying, all of that, we often miss just the simple reality. And so this is a great opportunity to, to touch into reality. And it turns out that whatever we do here as I was thinking about it, whatever we do here is really uh, what we need all the time. Even when we're planning, we need to be present with our planning. Even when we are remembering, we need to notice that we're remembering that a thought of the past is not the past. When, we're pl- when, we're, when we are worrying, we need to know that we're worrying, that, to know that we're having a thought in the present moment about a future that's unborn, that the, whatever we're worrying about doesn't even exist except in our imagination. And how do we know that? We know that by being present and being conscious. So we never really, none of us, no matter how complicated our life is, we never have to leave the present to solve all of our issues. Not solve all of our issues, but manage or work with or um, skillfully respond to whatever it is that, uh, that we need to do in our life. It all happens here. Everything happens here. In fact, so much life is so much about here that, that, we, that we can begin to see that there is no there. There just is no, we have never, ever, there's not one person here that has ever really left the present. That's all you have ever had is unfolding present moments. That's all there is. 
You have not come from the past moving through the present on your way to the future. That is a, that's just a way of thinking. You have always and only been right here. And yet, because we, while we're here, we spend a lot of our time entranced or dreaming, daydreaming, um, lost in thought, uh, there is a sense that we've been so many places, that we've been from the, in the past, that we've been in the future, but we haven't really. We've just been either lost in the past or future thoughts, always right here. So even when, as I often do at the end of retreats, as I encourage people to drive the speed limit when they leave a retreat because they're kind of slowed down, I'll say, sit behind the wheel. Realize that even though you're going 60 miles per hour or 55 or whatever, you're not really going anywhere. You're just right where you are. The scene is changing. And no matter what... uh, what you have to accomplish when you get home. It's just a moment at a time. You stay where you are. Integrate your, your life into your practice, which is always right here, rather than the, this idea of taking your little practice and taking it out into the work life and taking it home with you and to deal with your relationships. Rather, just stay where you are. And your relationships come and you, you notice your reactivity, you notice your sadness, you notice your grief. But there's something about staying where you are and being present with all of this phenomena that makes it workable. It's when we don't know that we're caught up in something. When, we've, when we're living in that construction project called time, the construction of the, called ourselves, we, we lose touch with this living reality. So this is really very simple in a way. Not easy, but simple. It's very simple. Stay where you are. Don't lift out of this present moment. You can't anyway. You can only imagine that you do. So you might as well, as long as this is all you have, the only place where you can ever live, you might as well get used to it. You might as well as do what the Buddha suggested, is that get so used to it, be so continuous in your attention to the living present, that the craving to be somewhere else, the craving to stop whatever's happening here, the craving to get somewhere else, the craving to become someone, to move into time, the craving for something other will fade away. Why will it fade away? Because the living present, hopefully, as a fruit of being continuously anchored right where you are, becomes so interesting, so compelling, so workable, that your desire to be anywhere else will begin to diminish. Why would I want to improve on perfection? Why would I want to... Why would I want to... And I say perfection because if you do continuously let your attention rest in reality, you will find that it provides everything you need for your happiness. And you'll see that when you dwell in the imagined future, it provides you everything you need for mental suffering. As I think I recite a lot the teachings of Punjaji, where he says you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. 
Or the poem that I've shared so many times from Hafez where he says, What do people who are sad have in common? They have all built a shrine to the past and often go there and do a strange wail and worship. What is the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. And I wrote the second verse, which I can't help but include. What do people who are worried, fearful, anxious have in common? They have all built a shrine to the future and often go there to do a strange wail and worry. What is the beginning of happiness? It's to stop being so religious like that. So we will not, in the span of our life, stop thinking about the future or the past. This is a marvelous capacity that we have to be able to construct an identity, construct time. If we weren't able to do that, we'd really have problems. But at least we can be anchored enough, at home enough in reality, that we can know that we're thinking about the future. We can notice this creative display called planning or or worrying. We can notice the creative display called replaying, reminiscing, regretting, guilt, remorse, whatever it is that presents itself in this unfolding present as, as thoughts, and then the feelings that go with those thoughts. I find it so relieving to know that I don't have to go anywhere, that I don't, and that I can't anyway. And that I, I can't, that I can't really do anything. I cannot do anything about uh, what has not happened yet, except for plant seeds right now. Whatever I practice right now becomes my future present moments. Words of Padma Sambhava: If I want to understand my past, look at my present experience, because I experience in my present the fruits of what I, what seeds I planted. And if I want to understand my future, I look at my present actions. So it all all starts right here. So I find that very relieving, that uh, I I don't have to um, I don't have to go anywhere but here, and I can't anyway. So I might as well get used to it. Might as well relax everything. And I think in my own experience, as I relax everything, as I orient myself to the only place that I am ever, really, and I put my mind in my body, my mind, the dust settles, my mind clears. Isn't it interesting how, how luminous, how clear we are when in those moments after our last thought has passed and before the next one comes? how quickly and easily a kind of aware presence just kind of shines through. It's just so natural. And it's so free. It's so open, so empty, so endless, beginningless, unconditioned, unborn. Very nature of our own minds. Right here. So easily missed. I find that that kind of openness is so accessible and I find with that, with that openness comes a lot of clarity. I can plan much more easily. I can actually relate to who I've been in my mind so reactive to. I can uh, reflect on my past with, a, with more clarity. And often I'll get some kind of insight into 
where I went off the rails, where I went wrong, what, I, what was unskillful about my behavior. All of that bubbles into the unfolding present. I don't have to leave here to figure all that out. I can't anyway. It all happens here. It all happens here. So I say this because this is actually the, the background of what I was really thinking about. <laughs> See, thinking is just part, one of our sense experiences, and some thoughts are, are Dharma thoughts. And I knew I was having Dharma thoughts, and they were appropriate to the context of our meeting tonight. And my Dharma thoughts were, there are really three things that the Buddha said we need. And these three things, as Tara was speaking about the 2,600-year tradition of, of dana, and how, how, what a beautiful, and what a, what a, how the teachings have been carried on this river of generosity, this reciprocal relationship of giving and receiving. Essentially, you know, that's, those teachings have been shared. They're called the Dharma. The teachings are called the Dharma. But the essential, in some ways, the essential dharma, the Buddha basically said, and the thing that's repeated over and over and over, you need three things. You need to rely on three things for your well-being, for really everything you need in your life. You need three things. The first one is called the Buddha. And when we say the Buddha is, the, is, a rely, is considered a rely, something to rely on, a, a reliable refuge, we don't mean the historical Buddha. We can certainly draw inspiration from the historical Buddha, human being like us who struggled with the same array of challenges of being human, the same array of what's called dukkha, that which is difficult to bear. That feeling of even in the best of circumstances, this kind of undercurrent of unsatisfactoriness. This human being that in the midst of that, in the midst of, of all of the inevitable difficulties of life, found a, a, a sense of freedom. His mind stopped going out in search. He felt the freedom of the cessation of the craving mind needing, constantly needing something to be different, constantly obsessed with what's next. He felt that sure heart's release. So we can draw some inspiration. It's possible for a human. But the Buddha, it's not about the historical person. Buddha simply means awake. It means I go to the Buddha for refuge. I go to that in me which is awake and aware. How far do I have to travel to go to that in me that is aware and awake? To wakefulness. To aware presence. How far do I have to travel? Now, if you travel to Asia, I did that, it takes a lot of hours. If you travel to L.A. or if you travel through 10 states, like our resident uh, videographer, what do you call it? What do we call you? Photographer or videographer. She just traveled on a motorcycle through 10 states. That takes time. How long does it take to go to the Buddha, to be awake? 
No time. No time. It is primary. It is your natural state. It is unassailable, unshakable. It is more you than you. It's more you than your name. It's more you than your gender. It's more you than your history, your titles, your situation. So it's very accessible. So this is what one thing that you need. Awake, aware. Buddha means awake. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the, the Dharma. We talk about the, the Dharma, traditionally the teachings. Teachings are very helpful because they, they wake us up to possibilities. For example, the teaching on dana. To You hear the teaching. This is one of the perfections of a Buddha. Somebody who's awake, fully developed, is, has, has trained this quality of generosity till it's the till it just flows naturally, where there's no hesitation, no fear, no, no, uh, no contraction, no self, um, uh, no self um, stuckness, just a sense of freedom, a sense of enough, a sense of sufficiency, a sense of joy that comes from giving. So that's you hear that in the teachings, and say, yeah, that's. I can feel that my own limitations, my conditioned limitations around giving, and I can see the limitations around my intention for giving. It's often to because I want to be liked or because I, because I think I'm supposed to. I, I, it's not flowing in that way where there's just this impulse to be generous. So that's what I might learn from the, from the teachings, and that's a beautiful thing, the, the Dharma, that that filled of these teachings of the, what a potential is for a human being. What a great thing to, to, um, to reflect on and to see, see how I am in relationship to that. And the teachings of the Four Noble Truths, to normalize the fact that we all have, have issues, troubles, and it's not so personal. We have our personal version, but we all uh, are subject to to sickness, old age, death, to frustrated desires, to, to fragility, to insecurity. That's normal. That's not weird. And that what causes it is our mind endlessly, um, what, what, makes it, what makes our life more difficult is craving. That's great to know because that becomes a reminder. Ah, is there craving in my life? How, am I caught up in, in the obsession with what's next? Am I missing the living present? So that's great. That's a, the, the teachings of the Dharma, the teachings of non-harming, the teachings of, of goodwill, of, of renunciation, of, of simplicity, of, of contentment. It's, a, it's a, a very lonely voice in this world of, Consumption, of busyness, associating our whole well-being by how busy we are. So that's great to hear those teachings. But the Dharma, the simplest 
form of dharma. What we really need, where the true refuge is, what dharma means is truth. So we go to the Buddha. What does a Buddha know? What does somebody awake know? Somebody awake knows in the unfolding present moment, a Buddha knows the dharma. What's the dharma? What's happening right now? What am I experiencing? What is the context of, of, that I'm in? I'm, I'm, experiencing an ex, I'm experiencing sitting here. I'm experiencing speaking. I'm experiencing feeling a, a kinship with all of you. Feeling a little bit um, amped up. <laughs> but a little excited. This is the Dharma. I'm feeling uh, happy to be able to be aware and awake. I'm f- I feel content to be here. I don't want to be anywhere else. Whatever it is for you, I'm afraid, I'm exhausted, I'm bored, I want something else, whatever it is. I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge. That's all you need. Every, all the information you need for your, for your functioning is held in these two, these two reliable refuges. So notice when you are being the Buddha, noticing the Dharma, what you need. Really. The way I like to, the way it feels to me, and you don't, have, don't believe what I say, but the way it feels to me is everything I need has been given just because I, um, I'm aware of what's happening to the best of my ability. Now our mind will come in and say, but what about, oh, there's my mind saying, but what about There's my mind going to the past, going to the future. Oh, okay. But try it for a while. Try relying only on these first two as a beginning. And then the third one, which is the which is maybe the crown jewel of all of the three of the three refuges, is the refuge in the Sangha. Is the the power and importance of having... Now, let me give you the traditional version of Sangha. Because these are really the three things that you, that you need. Now, the, traditionally, the Sangha means the Arya Sangha. The Arya means, uh, Arya means awakened beings. So the, when, in the rituals that have gone on for 2,600 years, they say, I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge. What that really is pointing to in the traditional sense is I, I gain inspiration and support from that stream of compassion and generosity that has carried the, that river of, of generosity and compassion that has carried the teachings of awakening, the possibility of awakening to the Buddha and the Dharma for 2,600 years or for however long, however long uh, teachings of awakening have been shared. And that, 
that I have deep, uh, deep kind of mystical kinship with, with that stream of generosity. I realize that I am a part of that stream. I would not be here if it was not for that, that stream. So that's one kind of way of drawing inspiration from and drawing uh, support, a, rel- a kind of reliable support. But that's hard to, that's a little bit mystical and maybe not as, uh, as practical and accessible as my suggestion is that the, the most immediate and accessible meaning of I go to the Sangha for refuge is I, I let myself, I let myself be reminded and supported by the community, and that community can take many, many different shapes, by the community of like-interested beings who remind me, those, that company that reminds me of this possibility to being awake, getting used to being awake in a continuous way, that reminds me that, that where relief is really found, not in how I want things to be, caught in the state of, of wanting, not on how they should be, not on how the ideal world should be, but where the true relief is in, is in first, before we go about changing the world, surrendering, opening being in harmony, at least in a non-reactive way to how things are. That that's the, our, the true medicine. So we need company. And what Sangha is, to me, this is, this is why, to me, Tuesday nights are essential. They're essential in my life. Because I need to be reminded. I need to be I need to be able to, to remember, oh, here I am. Oh, I have what I need right now. What's happening? What, am I, what do I need to work with? And I don't need anything else. And all day long, my mind will tell me what I need in that, uh, in that newest catalog that came in the mail. Or I, I need what my neighbor has. They have more stuff. Or they've they've got a better job, or they have a, their body looks more fit, or whatever it is that our mind is dwelling and hypnotizes us into thinking will make us happy. All that in in embracing, awake, and what's true, all that falls away, and I realize I need all those things that I thought I needed to suffer. I don't need anything to be free. I need to stay where I am. So without Sangha, we, we forget so easily. We just fall into dullness, fall into irritation, fall into impatience, fall into, uh, into a state of, of wanting so easily. It's built into our nature. So we have to somehow have enough support to go against the stream. 
And it, at least in the Hindu tradition, it is so explicitly described that that Sangha community, when it gathers to, for the purpose of awakening, for the purpose of liberation, not just uh, for the purpose of getting high, but for the purpose of liberation, then everything that we offer to, everything we bring here that troubles us in our life, this is at least their view, everything is liberated. Everything is accelerated. Everything is loosened by bringing, bringing your whole being to this uh, gathering of, of truth. Gathering of truth means place where what's most valued is being aware and what's tr- what's what you're aware of. So the good news is you don't have to travel anywhere. It's completely the Buddha and the Dharma are completely portable. They are um, they are certainly are certain. There's a tremendous benefit to gathering, as I said, but it's something that. Um, both the Sangha you can carry in your heart, and the Buddha is nearer than your breath, and the Dharma is whatever's happening. Try it for a week, going to the Buddha for refuge, the Dharma for refuge, the Sangha for refuge, not to the mall for refuge, not to your phone for refuge, not to your refrigerator for refuge. Those things give some a little pleasure, but they're, they're not reliable. So try this for a week, or two weeks, a month, or maybe the next 90 days. Every day, both in ritual, so you remind yourself, but most important is moment by moment by moment, being the Buddha, knowing the Dharma. So, any comments or questions? I didn't leave much time, but... We might as well just be Buddhas knowing the Dharma for a few moments. And feel the, the field, the Sangha, the field of support. And don't look for anything but this. As the Japanese poet Ryokan said, Buddha is your mind, and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you ever arrive? Can we have one comment or question, please, Marcus? That you were. You, Marcus says he was moved during our sitting by the unity of our silence. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you. I think we'll stop on that note.
And I would like to invite you to be moved by the unity of your own inner silence, moment by moment. If you, if you turn and look to the nature of your own mind, you'll find that it's silent. And that silence gets filled with thoughts that come and go, but the essential nature is undisturbed. Just don't believe me, check it out, moment by moment. Anyway, thanks for your time, your practice. And as usual, we like to uh, share the blessings of our time together and consider if there's been any, any fruit, any goodness, anything helpful about our being together that it is shared freely with all beings everywhere with, a, with a, the same wish that we have for ourselves, we wish for all beings. They, they may be happy and peaceful and safe and protected and healthy and strong and have ease in their hearts and a sense of well-being. And, uh, and then a resolution, a commitment that our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. So may all beings be free. May you be free. May I be free. Well, come one, come all to the Saturday day-long introduction to insight meditation at Spirit Rock. Beautiful time to practice together for a whole day. So bring your friends.